we welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 15, therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, this is Paul speaking to the Ephesian church, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints i've said here uh, i don't know 100 times 200 times 300 times and and we'll keep saying it until it rings home um, you know how paul will write to them stuff and, and before paul wrote we know that for some of these churches paul was actually physically present with them uh, and so from what we read in the letters of paul and not even and I've said this many times before, and not his teachings, as it were. It's him just referencing his teachings to deal with issues that they were going through in his letters. Does that make sense? So if somebody writes you a letter, the letter is not the person's life. The letter is the person's attempt at capturing a piece of it that is relevant to what they are trying to pass across to you. Does that make sense? And we, we tend to want to change things around, but he just references elements of them that are, re- that are relevant to where they are now. Imagine that you were there when Paul was teaching. Just imagine that you were there when he was teaching for the first time. You know, the very first time he was talking about this. Not when he wrote it and you were hearing it in a letter. But when Paul was actually teaching it as groundbreaking, demystifying of the gospel of grace. So he's writing all of these things to them. And, and he's saying, I, I pray that the eyes of your heart be enlightened that you will know the riches of the glory of this inheritance that you have. And so I've said over and over and over that if you understood a fraction of what Christ did, you could never be the same again, ever. One of the challenges that we are, in fact, one of the major challenges we're dealing with is that of not understanding what it means. I said this yesterday, to be a new creation. The fact that everything, let me show you something. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 13. Romans chapter 4, verse 13. For the promise that he, Abraham, would be the heir of the world, was not to Abraham or his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. I started some heat uh, the other day about God testing Abraham, Genesis 15, God declaring Abraham righteous through faith, and then God turning around to now test Abraham's faith, as we see in Hebrews eleven seventeen, right? For by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, and that's referring to Genesis 22 when he said, take your son, your only son whom you love, and go and offer him to me. And that was God testing Abraham's faith. But it was God that in Genesis 15 declared the same Abraham righteous through faith. Not the righteousness of performance. The righteousness of believing by faith. So why would God now turn around and come and test the faith of somebody he declared righteous through faith? And, and is it that God is trying to ascertain the faith of a man that he, God, gave faith. Because I thought Ephesians 2 says it's not of works. Yeah, By grace are ye saved through faith. And that faith, not of yourselves, that faith by which you are saved through grace is the gift of God. Not of works, that any man should be. So if God gives you faith and God knows the measure of faith that he gave to everyone, why does God need to test your faith to establish your faith? As if your faith is your own faith. The question is still unanswered. Why would God test Abraham's faith? Faith that I give him. So that Abraham will know what. So God will know what. What God doesn't already know. So that God will be pleased with Abraham when he, he doesn't give up. So God is not pleased with him until he has tested him. But I thought having been justified by faith, Romans 5, we have peace. Not having been justified by faith that has been tested. Having been justified by faith. Let's go back to where we are. In 13 of Romans 4, for the promise that he will be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Romans 4, 13 into 14 now. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void 
and the promise made of no effect. 15, because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there's no transgression. Switch to the message. Let's see how the message puts this um, verse 15. Okay, a contract drawn up by a hard-nosed lawyer and with plenty of fine print only makes sure that you would never be able to collect. Do you understand? But if there's no contract in the first place, simply a promise, and God's promise at that, you can't break it. 16. This is why the fulfillment of God's promise depends entirely on trusting God and his way and then simply embracing him and what he does. God's promise arrives as pure gift. That's the only way everyone can be sure to get in on it. Those who keep the religious traditions and those who have never heard of them. 17. For Abraham is the father of us all. He's not our racial father. That's reading the story backwards. He's our faith father. We call Abraham father because he got God's attention by living like... Go back a bit. He got God's attention. Not, by, not because he got God's attention by living like a saint, but because God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody. So we see Abraham's faith on display a lot, right? Before I go to what I wanted to, to say, which is what I want to say before I teach, which is what I want to teach before I speak. Um, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Remember that when John the Baptist saw Jesus in, in John chapter 1, I think 24, 25, 26, he screamed and he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the saints of the world, right? Remember when he, Jesus himself said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, right? And then Paul says later on in Romans 10 that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to them that believe. And then Hebrews says he takes away the first that he might establish the second, right? How many of you know the story of, of Abraham very well? Yeah, everybody who went to any form of Sunday school, yeah, knows the story of Abraham very well. Yeah, he was not exactly a nice guy. If Abraham was the father of, of faith, then to an extent he was the father of liars. Yeah, talk to me now. Because he sort of told a white lie that put a whole nation in jeopardy. You know white lies, right? Pure lies. <sighs> Let's look at Hebrews 11. I'm going to be very quick. And just, just a thought I want to put out there. We all know how it starts, right? Now faith is the substance of things. With forward evidence of things not seen. For by it, see verse 2. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. Hold on for me a second. I want to show you what David said. I, I hope this comes together for somebody. It's just the, the, the appetizer to the teaching. Psalm 32 verse 1 it says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Who is speaking? In what testament? See verse 2. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Now you see in Romans that we read earlier that where there is no law, there is no imputation of sin. Right? In the same Romans chapter 4, I think from verse 7, you see Paul quoting this psalm of David. Romans chapter 4. Go back to 6. Okay. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. In other words, to whom God imputes righteousness without borrowing or referring to works, right? Seven. Blessed. This is him quoting Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Verse eight. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So exactly quoting Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2. So David, again, like I said yesterday, saw Christ in a measure. Again, do we know David's story? At, at face value, reading through David's account, did he look like a believer? David, King David, Jesse's son, Christ. We read the Old Testament. And that's why I've, I've said over and over, that it's, it's very, very important to be careful how we lift narratives from the Bible and preach. Because the most dangerous preacher is the one who knows his Bible but does not know Christ in the Bible. The most dangerous preacher is not even the one that does esoteric and supernatural and you know what I mean. All them egg and, and, and co-pastors. The most dangerous preacher is the one that will take a Bible narrative and preach the Bible narrative for its own merit without seeing 
Christ in it. He has just misled everybody. Because you read David's account and you're like, well, no, come on. And we can teach a thousand things about David. How many of you know Gideon's story? Oh, mighty man of valor. The Lord is with thee. He said, which mighty man? <laughs> and we are hiding here from the Philistines. So they won't come and take our stuff, our olives and our grain. Calling me mighty man. Me, the least in my father's house. My father's house, the least in our tribe. Our tribe, the least in Israel. And you stand and call me mighty man. How many of you know Samson's story? You like that one, eh? Lions, bees, you know, hot chicks, you know, Delilah's. And all that kind of stuff. Long hair. You know what I mean? It's that kind of, you know, Game of Thrones, Vikings kind of stuff, isn't it? Like epic stuff. Samson. Rugged guy. Doesn't listen to anybody. Does what he likes. How he likes. When he likes. Even in death. How many of you know Moses' story? First of all, grew up sees two people fighting and then kills one that he just judged was the wrong one and freed the one that he judged was the right one or the disadvantaged one. Comes out again another morning, sees another two people fighting and tries to step in and they're like, hey, you want to kill us just like you killed? And out of fear, Moses ran at 40 years old. Yes? Marries Gentile woman Settles to serve her father 40 years. Then he sees burning bush and then, you know, who let tell them sent me and all that stuff, right? Moses speaks to the rock. Yeah? Moses strikes the rock and claims credit for the water. Shall we give you water out of a rock? Do you understand? Moses instantly deified himself. John the Baptist looking up at Jesus said behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world you saw in Romans 5 where just as by one man's offense sin and death just as by one man's obedience Hebrews chapter 11 bear in mind Psalm 32 verse 1 blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute Transgression, the one whose sins are covered, as quoted in Romans 4, 7, and 8. Hmm? Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, right? Offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only son, of whom he was said, In Isaac shall your seed be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense, right? 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. 21. By faith, Jacob. When he was dying. 22. By faith. Joseph. When he was dying. 23. By faith. Moses. When he was born. Was hidden. By his parents. By faith. 24. By faith. Moses. When he became of age. Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 25. Choosing rather to suffer affliction. With the people of God. Than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Moses did not know Jesus. He didn't know righteousness. So when did this happen? It gets worse. 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ. Greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked. Oh yeah. Bible student. Play that verse again. By faith. Moses. Prince Moses. Hmm? Chose. Go on to 25. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. Esteeming Moses, esteeming the reproach of Christ while in Egypt, a prince, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. It gets worse. 27. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is. Excuse me, Exodus. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. Now it came to pass, when Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. That's what Old Testament says. At their burdens. NLT, please. 
he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. Nothing about him joining them. Okay, let's go on. Say in New King James, some people only trust King James. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. Right? So he looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Nobody saw Moses' crime. Can I say this? But the law recorded it. He looked this way and that way and saw no one. But it was still recorded as a transgression. By who? How? Using who? He killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. 13. And when he went out the second day, that's the next day, 24 hours later, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? And then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Excuse me, he looked this way. He looked that way. And there was no one. So Moses what? And said, surely this thing is known. 15. When Pharaoh heard of the matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. He sat down by a well. Hebrews 11, 27. By faith, Moses forsook. Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. It's either the Bible is lying here or the Bible is lying here or something's wrong or something's right. Because like I said, we all know the story of Moses. You know it offhead. You know it like it was a movie you acted in. Talk to me. You know these Bible stories. They are so real. You feel like you, it was a movie. You were the principal actor. You acted in it. You see yourself, Joseph. You can picture all the colors on his, on his coat. You can picture the well. You know, picture him on the camels, you know. Picture the jingling pieces of silver. Poof, you know, picture all that stuff with Reuben killing the goat, you know, and soaking the, the, the cloth inside and going to present to his father. It's like a movie in your head in 5D. And then Hebrews comes and tells you that Moses forsook Egypt, not fled. Not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Psalm 32 verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Verse 2. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Look at me. There is a difference between what is on record concerning you and what God thinks concerning you. By the law is the record of transgression. By faith is the removal of transgression. By the law is the recording because as we saw earlier in Romans 4 where there is no law, there's no imputation of sin. And this is the stark difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. So we see Old Testament records of a man's frailties, a man's failings, a man's weaknesses, a man's vulnerabilities, a man's mess, a man's sleep up, a man's indiscretions tie your mind as well to David and in the New Testament because of the blood of Christ we see no record of what was done in the flesh and we see a rewriting of what happened as seen from the lens of faith I wish I could repeat it myself but it's not from the notes did you get what I just said we see a deleting of record and we see a rewriting According to faith. So did he run from Pharaoh? Yes. Was he afraid of Pharaoh? Yes. Who wrote it? God. Holy men wrote as they were inspired of God. That's what the Bible says. So you see, contrary to popular belief, scripture does not contradict scripture. It's only babes and charlatans that think so. Scripture interprets scripture. It's holistic. But if you look at one scripture in isolation, you'll be misled. So if you met an atheist, this is a very, very major thing to deal with. How can you say that by faith he ran when it is written in your Bible in Exodus that he was afraid? And the king heard and sought to kill him and he ran. But Hebrews says not afraid. Because for the believer in Christ, 
What was not done in faith is not reckoned with by God. God rewrites the narrative in favor of the faith he has given you. You know how Romans says that he passed on over, passed over the sins that were previously committed in his forbearance. So the blood doesn't just save you where you are now. The blood rewrites everything about your life and history. So when we read your, rec- your record, it's different. You did something stupidly, we trace it now and we see faith. You messed up. But in the annals of history, it was faith. Because in the midst of your action, Christ was revealed. He is the source and the end of faith. Looking unto Jesus. Now if he is the source of faith and the perfecter of faith, what he says is faith goes. So he said, by faith, Moses left. Because even though he acted in his flesh and fear, it was the prompting of faith. A foreshadowing of the faith that was to come. When we read the Old Testament by itself, all we have is bad record. Let's take it home a little bit. You know the story of the Israelites, right? Murmuring, grumbling, fighting. They saw Red Sea. Exodus 14, I believe. And they say, you know what? That's it. You brought us out to kill us. There's no graves in Egypt. Because there was mountains on both sides. Pharaoh's army behind. Red Sea in front. And they murmured against God and against Moses. Moses said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And then I think in verse 14 into 15, God asked Moses, why are the people crying to me? Let, the, let tell my people to go forward. I think it's 14 or 15. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Yes, tell the children of Israel to go forward. 16. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand, blah, blah, blah. Now see Hebrews 11 in verse 29. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea. Why does it accrue faith to them? Because later on we get to see that the Red Sea itself was a type of Christ. Who is the source of faith. So by faith they were baptized into Moses in the Red Sea. So them going through the Red Sea was a foreshadowing of the baptism of the believer into Christ. And what is that if not faith? So did they know they were acting in faith? No. Was it their faith? No. But was it faith? Yes. So there is a difference between what people record of you and what God sees of you. And therefore, it is of utmost importance to make sure you are seeing yourself through his lens. And all that grumbling and stuff is going on and heaven records it in the New Testament as faith. In the old, as murmuring and grumbling. Because all the law does is keep record of wrong. The law was designed to make you feel guilty. So guilty that you cannot save yourself. So so hopeless that you need a salvation. That only comes from Christ. That was the purpose of the law. It wasn't designed to make you feel good. So anybody that evaluates themselves according to the law is living under a curse. That's what Paul says in Galatians, right? Chapter 3. But he became a curse. Somebody say the righteousness of faith. By faith, put that scripture back up. He passed through the Red Sea. At, at no point do you see faith. Except maybe in Moses. But it says by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. Verse 30. Hebrews eleven thirteen. Stay there. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. 32. What more shall I say? For the time will fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, also of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. Who, all these guys, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, Became valiant in battle. Turned to flight the armies of aliens. Women received their dead back to life again. So all the New Testament records is acts of faith. 
not acts of failure. So in the New Testament, there is the failings, as it were, of a believer are of no consequence. Hebrews says, right there in chapter 11 and verse 6, that he that must come to God must believe that he is. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. So God imputes the currency by which he will deal with you into you. And once he does that, once he injects faith into you, he's dealing with you only on account of what he put into you. So by heaven's record, all that is held of you is what is heaven's business. If faith is God's gift to you and it is given to you to transact with God, then all the record heaven keeps of you is the record of your faith dealings with God. Your dealings with God that are not of faith are of no consequence. That is your earthly sanctification process that as you are growing, you are adjusting yourself and living in line with what heaven holds record of you concerning. That's what Paul means when he says to walk worthy of your calling. Not worthy to attain the calling, but walk worthy. Look like the calling you have been given. Act like it. Talk like it. Not act to attain it. Not talk to receive it. Not so to activate it. But to mirror the calling that you have been called. Does that make sense? So God's dealings with us are faith dealings. And so his records of us are faith records. That's why we don't oscillate from book of life to book of death. And book of death to book of life. And book of, because in the New Testament there is no record of wrong. I just showed you in scripture, in Hebrews 11. Do you see any reference to anything those guys did? Those guys should not be examples to us. They should not. I will dance like David does. Excuse me? That's why with all he knew, he will still pray. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of salvation. Because at that point, he thought he lost it. He just didn't have it. Because he was seeking for a city. Is that not in Hebrews 11? But he keeps no record of wrong. How's that scripture in Psalm 32? And Romans 4 will have to be a lie. Don't you think so? You acted up. I've said this many times. And then you have this big God. But if you have this very large God. Has a big book of life. Has another on the other side of heaven. Because the book has to be big. To, to contain like 6 billion people minus angels. So he has this big book in heaven east. You know, heaven west. Okay, no, let's use this one. In heaven municipal, he has book of life. In heaven south, he has, he has book of death. You get the picture? Two big books. So the moment... You just sleep up. Just rem- you just see God. <laughs> Write your name in the book of death. And as he was writing it, you were, for, you, were, you were asking for forgiveness. Father, every sin of omission or commission, I've sinned against him, I did my thought, my speech. Forgive him. Let the blood of Christ cleanse me. God was like, oh, okay, okay. Let's clean it from the book of death. Put it back in the book of life. And as we're doing that, right, somebody just splashed water on the road as we're going on a Sunday morning in your nice dress. You just went, idiot. Hey, you! <laughs> Delete it from the book of life and write it again in the book of death. And then you're like, oh Lord, forgive me. You said, let my mouth be seasoned with salt that, that it might edify. And God is like, hey, oh, my child. And then delete it again. And then, so all God is doing perpetually over your one matter is writing and deleting, writing and deleting, writing and deleting. Now, now, now add my own. Now add six billion other people. So all you have done is make God one massive bookkeeping secretary that is just writing and deleting. God forbid. That is not my God. Because the tree of life is Christ. It's not a book. The book of life is Christ. It's not a tree. The river of life is Christ. It's not water. 
And he says he keeps no record of wrong. So if there is wrong, God does not have the capacity to see it. As long as the blood still speaks. In those days, that's why they had a bloody tabernacle. And I mean bloody. And every year they will take that blood and pour. Go and wash the blood from last year. Let's see if you come out of the most holy place alive. Oh, there's too much blood in the presence of God. So you now want to go and help God by cleaning some of the blood from 10 years ago. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it can be clean. What you have just done is to uncover the entirety of Israel's sin. Do you understand? Once there is no blood on the mercy seat, all the sin of Israel is uncovered. All the sins of Israel uncovered. So we keep putting blood every year. Every year. Every year. And Hebrews tells us that it never takes away sin. It's just covered. But in the covering, Israel had from the day of that offering till the next one to do whatever the hell they like. Just make it till next year. Is anybody catching this? Your sins were just covered and you were cool for one year. And by the time it's expiring next year, a fresh covering for another year. And that took you to the next year and it was covered. And you hear of a sacrifice that is announced that takes away. Takes, can somebody tell yourself, takes away? It's not a covering whereas it needs top up. It's also not a covering whereas something might happen that might mistakenly wash it away or shift it or the blood didn't congeal properly so he fell off the mercy seat and as he fell off the mercy seat he exposed your sin or something it, 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 it is took away so the only narrative heaven has of the believer is that of justification by faith and because that is the only record heaven has everything else is rewritten in favor of faith that's what you see in Hebrews 11. Are you getting this? Everything is rewritten in favor of faith. Because last, last, Christ on display. Even when you did not know, in all things, God works for the good of them that love him. In all things. So it starts and ends with your believing. It starts and ends with your believing. But if you believe, that's faith. And if you have faith, which was given to you, then your entire narrative is a faith narrative. That's why I said that you don't need to feel like it. You don't need to try to please God. You just need to know that you please him. Because of Christ. It's not you trying to to be nice. It's not you trying to be righteous. It's not you trying to qualify his presence. It's not you praying, Father, come now. We invoke your presence. We receive you. Come in our midst. We, we welcome you. How? We welcome you. So he was where before? You, you came into a church meeting and God was not around. Really? You now sat down because you have deceived yourself that church meeting is like wedding reception. Where we are waiting for the bride and the groom to march in. That's why I told you yesterday that at the heart of African Christianity is a lot of traditionalism. You sit down in a church meeting. You gathered and God has not arrived. You now did opening prayer, you know, did all the little, you know, small, 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 small things until you are now ready to now welcome the presence of the Lord. So where was he? Nobody welcomes no Holy Spirit. Nobody, you, a human being, usher in the presence of God. You, human being, usher in. 
And I'm spraying flowers. Yeah, you know, spiritual flower girls and confetti. Welcoming this place. What caused that madness is our glorification of physical edifices as meeting places for God. That's what caused it. Glorification of buildings as altars for God. That's what caused the madness. So now when we gather in the place, we gather not as church. We now gather in church. We call the building church. You now have to welcome God into the building. That's why you don't eat in the building because you have to keep it sanctified for God. Because your own God doesn't like the smell of food. And the very tithe that you are, act, are fighting over is a tithe that if you read Deuteronomy, they bring it in food. Sit in the presence of God and eat it before the Lord. But you prevent us eating food inside the church because it is the sanctuary of the Lord. And your version of God, when he smells food, is to make him feel like throwing up. The version of God sees eating and drinking as canal. When Paul says, what, if you eat, eat to the glory of God. Whatever you do, you're eating, you're drinking. He said, one eats everything and to God he gives thanks. Romans 14. But because we have edified buildings, they tell you, you're welcome. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple, not your buildings? Your bodies are the temple. In whom he also dwells, just in case you are going to get it twisted. Just in case you don't understand what it means for your body to be a temple. In whom he also dwells. Do you not know? I repeat. That the only narrative heaven has of you is your faith narrative. That means the only thing you actually have going for you is your faith, you know. Don't mess with it. That's why Jude says, contend earnestly for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. All you have going for you is your faith. Because that's all God keeps record of. By faith, Moses left Egypt. (laughs) Not fearing the wrath of Pharaoh. Because by natural circumstances, he was afraid. But by the faith narrative, it was Moses telling Pharaoh, I'm too big to stand for this nonsense. I have a calling of God upon my life in Christ. Moses just did not know that that's what he was doing. But the fact that he did not know does not make it less the reality of Christ. He didn't know. By faith, Moses left the palace and bonded to his people, choosing the cross of Christ. Which Christ? Where? How? But because that was the end result, in its promissory symbolic sense, it was recorded to him for faith, and Elder Moses received a good report. Gideon hiding and being an unlikely person to save Israel was in fear. I have seen the Messiah. Where is he from? Nazareth. <laughs> Nazareth what? Can anything good? Do you see Christ in Gideon now? Yes. Unlikely savior. Unlikely Messiah. Are his brothers not Judas and Anko? Are his sisters not with us? It's Jesus that will save us. Jesus. So you read Gideon's narrative and you see him hiding and saying, I'm the least in my father's house. My father's house is the least in our tribe and our tribe is the least in Israel. And you say, oh, coward Gideon. But it was a type of the unlikeliness of the servant Christ that will save his people from their sins. So in Gideon hiding was faith in action. So by faith, and the story goes on, out of the honey, out of the lion, 
something sweet. Something's riddle, eh? Until you see Christ from the pages of the books, sir. Keep reading. <laughs> Keep reading. So because we are looking at ourselves, that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that he, even Jesus, we used to see him after the flesh. But now we no longer see him after the flesh anymore. So it's important that you don't prejudice. Goes back to what Samuel, Daniel said about judgment. Your fellow believer, based on what is happening now. Because the narrative heaven holds of them is different. An enemy announced to you, brother and sister, lady and gentleman, heaven's narrative will not change over your fellow believer because of your opinion. Say whatever you like of David. Heaven's narrative is by faith, David. Say what you like of Samson. That's why I said those of you that are very quick to condemn people to hell. You are assistant judges. Attorney general of the federation of heaven. I say, oh, that one. With the way you're living his life. Ah, undoubtedly is in hell. Many are they that say of my soul, there's no help for him in God. You must be careful who you're condemning to hell. Because you are saying something killed himself. You are saying something committed suicide. And heaven's record of Samson is by faith Samson. Is it coming together in your head? How can Samson do that? You cannot heaven has no record of that thing. The Father has no record of my sins. Jesus, you took them all away. And I believe you when you say, I am his righteousness in you. Until you appreciate the gospel, you will not appreciate it. Until you appreciate it, you will not appreciate it. It's such joy. It's such joy. You can't contain yourself. By faith, Samson. He killed himself by faith. Nobody took Samson's life from him. He laid it down. By faith, Samson. That is heaven's narrative. That's why faith is the game changer. And law people cannot understand it. It messes with them all the time. So be careful how you read narratives in scripture and walk around feeling like, oh, you know the Bible. You know, Samson's West, Judas ended up in hell. Says who? Samson killed us. Anybody that kills himself is in hell. Says who? That you do not see the divine plan of God in action does not mean it is absent. That you don't see it doesn't mean it is absent. You will run away in fear. And because it was orchestrated by faith, it will end in faith. For by faith. The just shall live. If the just is alive, it's by faith. Whether you feel like it or not. Because if you're not in faith, you are dead. (laughs) This is not the faith of performance. Like the the just shall live by practicing faith. No. The just shall live by the faith life of God. So if you are alive, whether you are messing up, whether you are messed up, whether you are twisted or straight, if you are alive as a believer, it is because of faith. Faith is why you are alive. Faith is why you stay alive. Do you understand? It's not just what you do to be alive. No, faith is why you are alive. It's not a performance to be, to be honest, to be alive. It is your lifeline itself. The only narrative heaven has of the believer is the faith narrative. Therefore, I train myself every day to see myself how heaven sees me. And no other way. I see myself how heaven sees me. That's my faith narrative. 
Because you've gone through all kinds of stuff. You've suffered delays. And heaven sees you as stopping the mouths of lions. You've gone through stuff. You've been raped. You've been abused. You've been disadvantaged and cheated upon. And heaven sees you as having gone through fire. <laughs> School is not working. A relationship is not working. And stuff is happening and you're not sure what's going on. And heaven sees you as having obtained the promises. So it's now up to you to start adjusting your optics. I'm beginning to respect heaven's narrative of you. And disregard what everyone else thinks of you. Literally disregard it. It does not matter. You can't stop the weapons from being fashioned. There's no scripture that promised that no weapon shall be fashioned against you. The room is quiet now. Scripture never said there's never a time you will get to your work with God where weapons can no longer be fashioned. They will be fashioned but the promise is that they will not prosper. So, but the fashioning of the weapons, oh no, go ahead. Fashion. Fashion. Oh, fashion. That's the faith narrative. People can say whatever they like. They can think whatever they like. They can gossip whatever they like. They can write whatever they like. They can record whatever they like. They can influence whatever they like. They can manipulate whatever they like. Ain't gonna work against me. Because my faith narrative is by faith power. Did you call your own name? By faith. And you look at all the stuff you this you should have served now, you have not served. You should have married, you are not married. You should have traveled, you have not traveled. You, you shouldn't have traveled, you have traveled by faith. By faith. Your prayer, that's why I started with Ephesians 1, that prayer, 17, that the eyes of your understanding. Because men, if you start to see how and what God sees, the smile will never leave your face. Ever. When we say the man in Christ cannot be disadvantaged, you begin to appreciate what that statement means. You begin to appreciate what that statement means. If you begin to see how Christ sees, you look at yourself and you don't have any money. And you're like, God, why am I so broke? And God is like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. Because the son has given you everything you need for life and godliness. The difference between this and that is a little time. And time plus chance happened to them all. I'm not rewriting your narrative. I already wrote it. No, God is not in the business of changing the believer's destiny. Don't sing destiny changer. No. Destiny is only changed once. From the first Adam to the second. Because for the believer in Christ, whom Romans 8, what does it say? He, he for whom he foreknew, he also what? Pre- so which destiny do you want to change? When he wrote your destiny before, those who he foreknew, he also predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son. If by destiny you have been conformed to the image of his son, which destiny do you want him to change it to? 
And we sing all this sensual, you know, sensual stuff that makes you feel like, oh yeah, when you feel goosebumps and you sit and you're like, ah, Lord, the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel it. Head, shoulder, knees and toes. Head, shoulder, knees and... We must be careful to not sing those nonsense songs in church. Songs that glorify the senses. Songs that glorify our sensuality. I can feel him all over me. Where do you see that in scripture? Because our faith is not a feeling. It's a knowing. Paul never prayed for the church to feel anything. Ever. Never prayed for the church that you can feel his love. Even when he talked of love, he talked about knowing, Ephesians 3. That you will know this love that surpasses knowledge. Even love is a knowing. It's not a feeling. I feel like jumping. I feel like clapping. That's why you sit down there and pull a long face during praise and worship because you are walking according to feelings. I feel like clapping. I don't feel like clapping. It's not a feeling. I don't feel like shouting. The scripture says shout. Yes. All you need to do is look at me and say pav. The Bible says Psalm 47 verse 1. Clap your hands. I'm clapping my hands already. I don't have to feel like it. And when they say shout, and I know that being a shout is scriptural, I shout. Because it is scriptural. Not because I feel like it. What am I feeling? So be careful to do all these sensual songs that we sing. They're very, very, oh, oh, I feel, I can feel your presence. No, no. It's not presence you're feeling. It's your carnal senses. The faith narrative of the believer. That's the message that he wrote by faith for tonight. It's not a feeling. It's a knowing. So he prays that we will know you know, once you begin to see yourself the way God sees you and you get a peep into heaven's account of you man is 1 Corinthians 2 right verse 9 but as it is written I has not seen nor ear heard nor has it come in to enter the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him how many of you have prayed prayer points on this verse before? Brethren, you open up your face, you say, Father, what eye has not seen? What heart has not heard? What ear has not smelled? Reveal it to me right now. Prayer. Brethren, you don't understand, you will pray that prayer point again. Anybody remember that? You pray it again. The Bible says, effectual father prayer. I said earlier on, be careful how you twist scriptural narratives. I see people quote scriptures and I put my, head on my, my hand on my head. I'm like, Lord Jesus, have mercy. Because literally, even the people that are attacking the gospel do not realize that it's by, it's by the same gospel that they are attacking that they are alive. It's by the same gospel they are fighting that they are alive. So all I can do is feel sympathy for them. Because the way he carries scriptures and murder it, and ACG into it, make it read into it what he doesn't say. Verse 10. But suggests that the previous sentence is not standalone. Yeah, conjunction. But God has revealed what eye has not seen, what ear has not heard, what has not entered into the mind of man. God has revealed them to us through his spirit. Not God will reveal. This is not a prayer for revelation. It's an acknowledgement of revelation. Oh, is it everybody that has come into working knowledge of what has been revealed? No. That is where you need to put in the work. Stare up the gift of God that is on your inside. Paul tells Timothy. But everybody who has the spirit has the fullness of God revealed in Christ. Christ is the selfie of God. Christ is what God looks like. Christ is what God smells like. Christ is what God talks like. Christ is the God you can relate with. God is the God that dwells in unapproachable light whom no eye has seen nor can ever see. He's still like that. He's still like that. 
God didn't change his nature just to bring you close. He gave the son who is the express image, Hebrews 1.3, of his person. So Christ is the relatable God. Do you understand? Christ is God relatable. The God you can be like, hey God, how you doing? You're right. Sup, bro? He is the relatable God. That God is not threatened or ashamed of. That's why Jesus is not ashamed to call us brethren. Hebrews 2, right? It's what God looks like. And once you begin to see yourself how he sees you, the spring in your step never goes off because of what you're going through. You're going through what you're going through. You're about to lose your house. Join the queue. You think you're alone? Join the queue. We are plenty. No temptation has befallen you. <laughs> that is uncommon to man. But we know that through it all, he makes a way of escape. Through it all. So see yourself. Father, help us to see ourselves. How you see us. And, and, and because that will, that, will, that will influence how we begin to see each other. You will stop seeing the worst in each other. Because you realize heaven has no record of that nonsense. So what, what are you, why are you so encumbered and so invested in celebrating the vulnerability and the weakness of someone? Why are you the one who is interested in being the one from whose mouth they will hear that something's wrong with somebody else? Why are you the one to say, I said it. I knew something was not right. Ask yourself, is what I'm saying consistent with heaven's record? Because if heaven records against them what I wish for heaven to record against them, it means heaven also has a bad record of me. Apply it to yourself too. Apply it to yourself too. And the believer's narrative is the faith narrative. By faith, path, as messed up as your story has been so far, by faith, call your name. And this your faith now is substance faith, not promise faith. Do you understand? We are not looking for a city whose builder and founder is God. We are the city because he has come and tabernacled in me. Are you following me? My faith is not the substance of things hoped for. My faith is not the evidence of things not. My faith is a gift given to me. His name is Christ. He's real. He came, he lived, he died, he rose. He ascended and then came back and resident in me. So my faith is substance faith. My faith carries weight. You know, one of the errors of the church is how we have reduced faith to that supernatural energy by which you believe God for a car. That supernatural energy by which you believe God for a husband. You can claim it, name it, claim it, and take it. But so far, I, I don't claim to be a student of New Testament in its entirety, but I'm yet to see a place where the New Testament church was taught to take those things by faith. Otherwise, Paul would have said, my God shall supply all your needs according to your faith. Faith is not what you deploy to get something. No, faith is not what you use to collect something. Faith was given to you so you can have the capacity to collect what you have collected. Faith is not what you are using to collect a car. Faith was given to you to enable you to be saved by grace. By grace are ye saved through Faith is the instrumentality by which grace saves you. Does that make sense? And that faith is not of yourselves. In other words, it's not you that just woke up in your unbelieving state and said, you know what, I think it's time to believe God now. Because that is carnal. And to be carnally minded is death. The flesh profiteth nothing. An unbeliever does not have what it takes to respond to God. They're dead in sin. Dead to Christ. An unbeliever does not have what it takes to respond to Christ because they are dead to Christ. So for an unbeliever to receive Christ, it means that Christ has to already walk in the unbeliever. Now how does Christ walk in an unbeliever who is dead? God carries a deposit of heaven called pistis, faith, and implants it in you so that as soon as he leverages that transaction, you can respond. So that's why we say salvation is entirely the work of God. You have no part to play. Even your believing was not yours to play. Do you understand what I just said to you? How did you believe? How did you go, Lord? Wow, I need you. You give yourself credit for that. You call it you participating with God. Partnering with God to be saved. Clap for yourself. No, it's an entire work of God. Apart from the believer. Apart from the unbeliever. The ability of an unbeliever to respond to God is given to him of God. And that deposit of the God kind is called faith. So faith was given to you to receive God. 
Once you have received God, you're not looking for anything else. Everything else is delivered by the faith by which you received God. You're not using the faith to collect a car. A car comes because you have God. Along with him, he will freely give you all things. Wait, we deploy faith to receive Christ. Then we deploy faith to buy a car. No, we have Christ. (laughs) And Christ is the best God can do. If he did not spare his own son. Romans 8, 32, I believe. How will he not, not along with him? Freely give us how many things? The faith narrative is the only important narrative of the believer. Please don't forget that. Before you beat yourself down. I get, I get, I get weighed down when I see believers confessing their realities in Christ. And then after a while they get tired and they give up because nothing changed. You're giving up too soon. Keep at it because that's the only narrative heaven has of you. And you must keep saying the narrative of heaven and keep saying it until everything around you adjusts in obedience to Christ. Until everything aligns in obedience to Christ. But you know, we confess it one day, two days, three days, nothing changes, you give up. And sometimes you start confessing and then the thing you are confessing now gets worse. And you're like, ah, maybe I should have just kept quiet. Oh, now I've looked for trouble. But that's the whole challenge. That's the fight of faith. So you keep confessing and you keep confessing and you keep confessing and you keep confessing holding fast the profession of your faith whereunto there is great recompense of reward. You keep who you hold fast to your confession. You hold fast unwavering because you know that he who called you is faithful. Faithful is he who has called you who will also do it. You keep confessing. That's the fight of faith. You keep confessing. It doesn't look like it. So what? So it's by the faith narrative that you begin to change your, your, your reality. You augment your reality. It's a faith narrative. You look at the results and it hasn't quite changed. And you're trusting for something to shift and it's not shifting. You're like, Lord, why have you forsaken me? No, he hasn't forsaken you. He sees you right now as walking in faith. <laughs> he sees you as stopping the mouth of lions. Sees you walking through fire. So stop moaning and groan. Believers don't do that. Don't do that. It's beneath us. Believers don't do that. They sit down and start to cry. Oh Lord. No, we don't do that. We enforce our position in Christ. I am sat with him far above principalities and powers. They throw your things out of the house. You sit on top of your things outside the house and say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. All my needs are met. The cattle on the thousand hills belong to him. I am a son of the kingdom. I am an heir to the promise. I do not lack where to sleep. I do not lack where to place my head. Excuse me, leave that place now. You move your things one more step and say, Father, I thank you because I'm not disadvantaged until you stay there long enough to change your mind on this earth. Life will not align to heaven's narrative of you. Until you stay in it long enough. Long enough. Long enough to enforce heavens. Because heaven does not see you as failing. So if you failed, keep get up and keep going on. Because heaven's narrative is by faith you conquered. Heaven's only record is by faith you already won, 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 won. That's heaven's narrative. So anything less than that is just simply not acceptable. It just means that's not the end of the journey. Grab yourself up and you keep going and confessing who you are. I have the riches of the glory of God's grace. I lack nothing. He went through a full swap with my name on it. He took all my disadvantage. I have his advantage. I I cannot go through this. This is not me. And I know the testing of my faith worketh patience. I'm going through this, Lord, because I know at the, the end of this is that you cause me to always triumph in Christ. Always. And you must stay at it long enough. That is the testing of your faith. It's not to prove your faith. It's to bring you into alignment with your faith. Because the truth of the matter is this. Because the faith is not yours, you don't realize you have more faith than you think you have. You have more faith than you know. Because the faith is not yours. Uncle, you now have to learn how to use it. And it's the testing that causes you to place a demand on the faith 
that is already yours. Not faith that you are trying to develop. So as the testings come, the testings cause you to exercise the deepest reaches of your faith. You pull from the well of faith. You pull from the fountain of faith. Then you realize I can do all things. That was Paul drawing from faith. Do you understand? I will boast in my infirmities. That was Paul drawing from faith. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That was Paul drawing from faith. So the faith is constant, but your demand on it, it begins to increase according to your testing, which establish your capacity to deploy more and more and more of the constant faith that you have. The faith is not a variable. Do you understand? The faith is not in dimensions. The faith is a constant. Your demand on it is what needs to grow. That's what testings does. So as the testings come, they begin to remind you of your faith narrative. And as you hold in a second, I can do this. And you draw. I can take this. And you draw. If, if you give up at that point, then your strength is weak. You still have faith, but you're going to go through a process that tests it until you can maximize that which you already have. For the testing of your faith, walk with patience. That's the faith narrative. Please, this is not motivational speech. It's life. Live here determined to live by heaven's narrative of you. Repent to yourself. For seeing yourself different to how heaven sees you. You owe yourself repentance. I'm speaking to everybody in this room. Including me. You owe yourself repentance for seeing yourself different to how heaven sees you. Because heaven cannot see you as a failure. It's a record heaven cannot keep. It's a record heaven does not have the capacity to record. It cannot, in the new creation, no believer can be seen as a failure. There's no place for it. Now, if there's no place for it, then it means in the earth, as a son of God, representative of heaven, you cannot end up a failure. Because it is not in the original narrative. So begin to readjust how you see yourself. Who am I speaking to tonight? Readjust how you see yourself. See yourself how heaven sees you. It's tough, yes, but by faith. And you begin to walk according to what you are seeing. Take your eyes off what is happening around. Let them say. Let the storms rage. It's okay. We have limitless faith. We keep drawing. We keep drawing limitlessly. Open your mouth and just pray in the spirit right now. This is a good time. Pray in the spirit and draw that faith that is on your inside. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.